On this episode of African Retooled, industries have to continuously innovate to be the industries of the future. So like in the restaurant business, folks will still eat, will have to feed people. Question is, will they come sit down in your restaurant? Will they eat at home? Will they want to sit down for a long period of time? Will they want to grab and go? How will they pay? How will they be served? When you think of the future, no idea is crazy. Mm-hmm. As crazy and as, as outrageous as it seems, it probably is likely going to happen. Do you have the tools to face the future? Welcome to African Retooled. A podcast where Chris and Martin, two African recruiters, will explore the changing world of work. Where students come to learn and gain insights into the world of work. Discover how they can continue to tool themselves with skills of the future, where managers will explore with us how to confidently navigate the complexities of future work in order to be key disruption agents and remain competitive. Where CEOs, business owners come to understand the evolution of work, allowing them to leverage on emerging roles and remain competitive and achieve their objectives. Mabibi na mabwana karibu ni katika kipindi hichi cha African Retooled. Ni mimi Martin. Hi Martin, you sound like an, a pilot. I mean, uh, it's called pivoting. And so even here at African Retooled, <laughs> we need to flex our, <laughs> our different skill sets. So today you're taking us on a flight. What's the flight about? Um, interesting that you speak about flights because today we are going to be uh, looking at one of the industries that has been uh, very badly or adversely affected right. um, through this period uh, of the pandemic mm-hmm. and that's the uh, hospitality industry and of course closely linked to that are all the different value chains within travel. Um, yeah. So Martin, to delve into this discussion on hospitality industry, we reached out to a friend, another friend of ours, and be very fortunate to have good friends. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, Priscilla. Priscilla, I met a number of years ago. It has to be at least nine or uh, ten years ago. And she was working then for a manufacturing company, Mabati um, Rolling Mills. Mm-hmm. I think today... They're they, part of the Safal group, they, I think. Exactly. Yeah? Mm. And so she was uh, leading HR there at the time. And um, she has since transitioned and, 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 and now works for um, one of the largest coffee brands in Africa, the Java, the Java House. Mm-hmm. And uh, she started off as a HR director there, but has since transitioned into a commercial role. So I find that very interesting, first it of is, all, it because is. Um, it's such, such a rare thing in our, in our industry for people to transition from a HR role to a commercial role. Mm-hmm. But it says something about uh, about her about her as, as a person as a person so how she thinks yeah um, yeah so she's worked um in the states she came into kenya when i met her 10 years ago working for a manufacturing company um she's primarily held roles in hr but today is is, is really um in charge of the commercial piece at java house mm. java house for listeners is 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 not it's not just a coffee it's not just a coffee brand i think it's it's synonymous to a lot of um you know like first dates absolutely a lot of memories that uh Kenyans and East Africans have uh, yeah. in general. Yeah, I mean, songs have been written about Java House. Exactly. And um, I mean, I, I, it's just really one of those brands that have become Kenyan. Yes. Yeah, and it's 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 one of those places that it it, it hits all demographics. It hits mm-hmm. the, the the affluent. It hits the middle class. It hits people who are aspiring. Yes. To 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 have a, an experience. I, I think another interesting point around Java House is that they have then uh, birthed number of brands as well mm-hmm. and, and this really gives you insight into how they're thinking 
exactly. on, and how they have uh, how they've navigated this season. Priscilla is currently the commercial director at Java House. She's responsible for the manufacturing arm of the business. She's responsible for retail, new business development, and HR functions. Um, she also happens to be a board member within the same organization, Java House, and another organization called Tukalime. Yeah, so welcome, welcome Priscilla. We're looking forward to speaking with you. Before we begin, we'd like to apologize for the background noise in parts of this recording that might be distracting to some of our listeners. Thank you, Chris and Martin. You guys, your your title sounds a little bit like a sitcom, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> Interesting. So, Priscilla, it's really a pleasure to have you. Um, we've been meaning to have you on the show for a very long time. You and I have been talking about the amazing story of Java, and today I'm so glad to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, all things considered, uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and belabor the point of COVID-19. So mm-hmm. um, we're good. Um, you know, we have quite a few of our stores up and running for sit down. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not ideal, but um, it's definitely better than where we were in April, middle of March in April. Yeah. Um, so, so it's good. It's good. It's, it's Actually, um, on, on just on that note, I'd like to write on that. Um, what informed the the outlets that you could open up um, in this period? You know, a lot of people. I I don't know. Maybe it's just our industry. So, like, we remember the day the first um, case was announced in Nairobi, and um, we have a lot of business models around that date. So it was March thirteenth. It was actually Friday the thirteenth. Mm-hmm. And uh, within a week, we got direction from the government that restaurants were not allowed to have any sit-in or dining customers. Mm-hmm. Um, we remained open for takeaway and for delivery. And even then, a decision had to be made on which stores would be open for delivery and takeout. I mean, a lot of data had to be used in making that decision. And it was a lot of footfall. You know, what does Mm. this store typically do pre-COVID? Okay. So checking footfall, understanding what the trading patterns are, whether it's it's a heavy um, dining, a heavy takeaway, a heavy delivery. Mm. And also at that time is when um, a lot more organizations were asking people to work from home. So the way our restaurants are segmented is by what we call channel. Mm -hmm. So one of the channels we have is office blocks, right? Mm -hmm. So those office blocks really cater to, you know, as the name says, offices. So it's, it's restaurants that are near banks and offices and, 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 and so you know, it's a no-brainer that those were stores that we would keep closed mm. because that market was working at home more. Yeah, but most stores where there was a lot more residential, um, we kept our hospital stores open. We have a channel that um, is at schools, like we have a channel, we have a restaurant at USIU that remained closed. So a lot of factors um, went into deciding what was going to remain um, open or closed. And it's the same factors that we have used even when we were allowed to have dining. Yeah. The first 20 stores that opened, that was the same criteria that was used. And then, as you know, as the market is changing, we, we are adapting. I mean, this, this particular COVID period is, is, is about adapting and very quickly. Mm-hmm. 
So, for example, when um, the cessation of movement was lifted, we then started opening our out of Nairobi stores. So, again, it's just understanding what's happening in the larger community and then making a decision um, thereafter. Priscilla, you describe a time of a lot of uh, reflection, a lot of analysis, but how are you as an individual managing and staying grounded in this season of um, so much challenge? You know, I think challenge is a word that's been used over and over, and I think it's an appropriate term for Mm. this time. Mm. Look, we are four or five months in. It's been highs and lows. I think one of the things that keeps me going is a deep responsibility, obviously, to you know, the 2,000, close to 2,500 staff that we have. And um, every decision that we make or I make um, has a direct impact on them. So just that deep responsibility is keeps you going, right? But I mean, look, we've all gone through what I call COVID fatigue, you know, where you feel like it's Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And look, for an organization like Java, I mean, we've had some amazing, exciting last five years where we've had a lot of growth, a lot of going into new markets. So we don't know the slump. Um, And so that's been that's been um, has taken some adjusting. But I think at some point in the beginning, it was about crisis mode. Mm. And then thereafter, quickly thereafter, was about the strategies of how are we going once this gets done? Because it will get done. What are we going to what is our business going to look like? after COVID-19. So it's not so much wallowing in, oh my goodness, we're here, you know, it's, it, it, it sucks really, but okay, fine. This is where we are. We make the best decisions that we know how to today, but in February, March next year, what business are we going to be running? What do we need to do to the business now to future proof it? And that's fantastic. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what keeps me going because I, I mean, you know, Java will still be there 20 years from now. Um, so it's, it's just making sure that we're good custodians of this brand and this great um, African story, if you will. Yeah, that's, that's very relevant because then it's, it's, it tells me, um, you're like you said, you're not wallowing and and focusing on the crisis, but you're already planning for the future, and which is what we focus on 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 African Retool, just trying to to stay positive and and prepare ourselves for for an imminent future, because yeah. um, we can't stay focused on what what's going on now. But I find it interesting that while we are still trying to to figure things out, the government of Kenya again announced a raft of measures, again almost taking us back where we were. So, and, and I, I reference a particular um, statement by an association that looks after the um, hospitality space, uh, PERAC, and they were really unhappy with some of the unilateral directives around not serving alcohol in, um, in eateries and restaurants. And the, the question is, are those restrictions fair in your view? And what, what, what is your industry saying and what are you guys saying? First of all, I think the government and the people in government have an incredibly difficult job mm-hmm. because, you know, you're, you're basically trying to balance the safety and well-being of your constituents and your people and an economy and a private sector that wants to continue fueling the economy. So is it right or wrong? 
I don't know that I'm equipped to answer that question, but I, I do think that for us, look, if we go back as Kenyans, bars were never supposed to be open, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, first of all, we need to take a step back and say, okay, where what's the genesis of this? Bars were never supposed to be open. It was very clear, and it was about restaurants and then that. Mm-hmm. However, restaurants serve alcohol. Yeah. But we probably took that freedom a little too far. Um, and, 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 you know, is likely why, you know, the government made this unilateral decision. However, you know, talking from a, from a Java perspective, we're a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, we have strategically made the decision that we are family oriented and, um, you know, we don't sell alcohol. Um, but that being said, something like a unilateral decision, I think one of the things that the, the, the government can do is maybe not paint everybody with one stroke. Mm. So we get penalized for the bars as well. So in this particular instance, um, our trading hours were reduced, yeah. but they were reduced because of the people selling alcohol. But, you know, I think there are ways you can look at it as a government and say, actually, you know what, there's there's this core section of the economy. That's just a coffee house. It's just a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, they could probably trade until seven and still, work their, you know, their customers and the people who work for them can get home by curf- by the curfew of nine. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's just a very complex situation. It's yeah. it's. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm just glad I'm not the one making the decisions at the government <laughs> level um, <laughs> it's, it's, because it's, it's just incredibly difficult. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't help that, um, unfortunately, what, what is being focused by the media is all this, the bad stories on, on the bars that are flouting the rules. And, and the question is, um, could the restaurants and the restaurant owners and hoteliers sit down and try and change the narrative and, and try and highlight some of the good things that you guys are doing? Is that something yeah. that you think could be done? I think it could. And, and I mean, look at it this way. You guys are part of the media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, I'm um, in the media now. Yes, we are. <laughs> you are in the media. <laughs> and um, look, uh, drama sells, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Uh, you know, the media is also an, uh, an industry that's also facing, um, and, uh, you know, a very difficult time. Right. So it's about, you know, clickbait and, and what are people going to read? Right. So a, a Java story about a Java being compliant, having <laughs> Ministry of Health coming in, that is such a boring story to you guys in the media. But I wish we would focus more on it. Mm. And you know, from a from from our perspective, we are telling our story. Mm-hmm. So on our social media, you know, and it's not just to say, hey, look what we're doing, we're better than the rest. Mm-hmm. It's more for the customer to feel safe coming into our space and our people, because you know, for us, we, we are in the people business mm-hmm. and ensuring that our people are safe. So you will see that we are putting that message out, whether in video, whether in 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 talking points, about when you walk to into a Java, you know, your the space between you and the next customer, you know, we're disinfecting, our people are tested. So we are doing the right things. Unfortunately. For you guys in the media, that doesn't sell. That doesn't sell, does it? <laughs> no, and, and since so, we are we are alternative <laughs> media, we are giving you this opportunity to say. 
all the non-sexy stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, look, um, I think the wider discussion is when when you look at what fuels our economy as um particularly the you know the emerging countries and and it's it's really private sector mm-hmm. and so private sector is feeling the pain and that's probably why you will see private sector kind of pushing back but you know i think this is unprecedented as i'm sure another word that has been used over and over mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. so Essentially we are all experts because none of us know anything about this thing. There you go. And so I I mean I can see where the private sector is coming because it's 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 been painful. Um for an organization like ours we are trading possibly and you know about 50% of pre-covid, you know, outside of just your revenues, you have your cost base. You know, so you still have your rents and you still have, you know, your suppliers that come in and you have to find the balance for all of them. Yeah. Um so I I I do feel the pain from the bar owners. Um and I, and I'm I'm really hopeful that you know within the next month or so we should we should see that directive lifted hopefully. Okay. We've heard a lot ab- about taking advantage of crisis. And and I think so many different industries are thinking about how to pivot. Um, they're taking this opportunity to look at how their value chains have been built and thus their business models. Um, looking at the airline industry, you you have them now rethinking this whole check-in process. Why do I need to, to check in at, at a counter? People are able to check in on their phones. So moving on to food service. Food service is going to be with us for a very long time. In what ways do you think we can reimagine the value chain to move beyond just digitalization and and actually enhance digital transformation. I mean, if you walk into most of of the restaurants now, you'd have a a menu on your phone or a QR code which you scan and you have the menu on your phone. And even before COVID, we had apps that you you partnered with other companies to be able to deliver food to clients. What other ways can we actually reimagine the value chain and come out of this ahead? You know, now you're at 50%. Um, but of course, this has to grow in a certain way. So, how 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 can we reimagine this? Um, that you know, that's a good question, Martin. And I mm-hmm. think you're right. Everybody's having there. There are many Zoom calls. You know, other online platforms being used to discuss this very topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, we start from the very beginning. We we sell an experience, right? And so that experience is from the design of the restaurant, from the menu from what we serve to our people. And really, I mean, before we even get to Java, I mean, one of the things that I'll say about all industries, Mm -hmm. anything that you have ever wanted to try, this is the time to try it. I mean, that's really the ethos that we're using. Because, you know, pre-COVID, there were these big boardroom discussions of should we, you know, what's the bottom line? What's it going, what's a consumer going to think? And, and, and. But this crisis, you're right, never let a crisis go to waste, has allowed us to have a little bit of of like a training ground, Mm -hmm. you know. So if there are menu items that you've wanted to try, this is what we're doing. If there are menu items we've thought, oh, we're not sure how it's going to be received by the guest, you know, this is the time to try it. 
Mm-hmm. But just going back, I mean, what are we going to do? What's a business going to look like? I go back to, you know, the growing spending power of um, the millennials and, and the Gen Z, if you will. Yeah. I think for me, that's the undercurrent that allows us to make the decision on what this business is going to look like and many other businesses. Mm-hmm. And you talked about digital and digitization. Yeah. So things like leveraging social media and social media is not just talking at your consumer. It's also the listening. And I think for our industry, it's using that data to our advantage. So a lot of our industry talks at the customer and mm-hmm. tells or the, at the guest and tells the guest, oh, you know, I have this offer or oh, come and see us or, oh, you know, come buy one, get one free. You know, all that really, if you will, traditional way of um, reaching out to your guest. But now, I mean, that has changed. And, and, and if you look at that generation, everything is Instagrammable. So for us now, it's about how are we designing our spaces? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it starts from there. How are we designing our spaces? Is this a space where somebody can come in and, you know, and it'll be clickable, if you will. I mean, Java has always, we've always said that Java is whatever you want it to be. So it's a place for a date. It's a place to do your work. It's a place to take your mom for lunch. And so for this um, population, what will Java be for them? Remember, this generation probably grew up being taken to Java by their parents when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And now they're the ones who, you know, went for their first date and possibly will now take their kids to Java. But what do they require and what's important? So, how we design our spaces, the menu, I mean, Now it's about what the guest wants is a smaller menu, farm to fork. We care about what we eat. Um, We care about sustainability and um, an organization. And it's just not just ours, an organization that does not understand the sustainability is a reason for your guest or for your customer to come to you is, is an organization that will fail. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing for us that's very important is value. You know, what is the value that for me as a guest, I'm coming to get there. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, like the traditional loyalty and, you know, I want to feel like I belong to a club. I was reading an article and, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has been done, whether it's from um, people, you know, like robots creating the meals, ordering online. I think that's all being done. We can mm-hmm. only enhance it. Um, but, you know, things like if, if, if a millennial tags um, your brand, they earn loyalty points or they earn points that they can then redeem at a store. You know, imagine that. I mean, like, just think of the millennials now. They're tagging everything and everyone. But they could, yeah, exactly. But they could actually earn something from tagging, Mm. you know, or like a social point system, exactly, or um, you know, recommending a store or recommending a meal. So it's 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 really how you play around that. So they feel that it's no longer their parents' brand Mm. that now belongs to them. 
But, you know, so even things like, you know, your food, it needs to be new and interesting. I was talking to one of our suppliers who's a farmer, and I said, I want to tell their story because the story about farm to fork, somebody who is farming in Kiambu and we buy their potatoes and, you know, in turn, they're supporting an entire community. That's a story that my guest wants to wants to know. Mm -hmm. So my guest will come to me for um, potato grown in Kenya versus a competitor where we're not sure where the potatoes come from. Right. Profound. So, um, so it's, 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 it's a lot more than just the digital space. Cause I mean, folks will tell you, yeah, I order online, there's delivery and, and all of that, but that's already happening. So we're yeah. only enhancing that, mm -hmm. but it's more just the customer experience. This is African retooled. Industries are being, are being driven to change by different things. And a lot of it is coming from the consumer. And, and it's good to know that people are actually listening. And you said, you know, you're not talking at the consumer, but using it as a platform um, to gain data on what your consumers need. And so looking at it from the perspective of convenience, is, is that something um, that, you know, we can start thinking about in, in this region of the world? Um, thinking about, you know, um, packed foods, or, or different ways that my consumer can actually engage with my brand or different food service um, vendors to be able to take you home with me because it's now becoming a reality. We used to see this a lot in the West, but that culture is now creeping in here where I want value food or very good food. Um, I know the story of this food, but I want to have it at home. I don't necessarily yeah. need to go in for, for brick and mortar for this. Are there opportunities for this sort of transformation here? Um, absolutely. Um, I think that's part of, you know, repurposing your brand, if you will. I think if you look at the growth of the middle class um, mm. in this market, you know, I mean, they say something like by, you know, by 2025, 2030, in Africa, we have the fastest growing middle class. Um, mm. And it's really due to our economic growth. But unlike other markets, our middle class is young. Yeah. So, I mean, I, just exactly what you said, we have a young middle class and our middle class is now, you know, in, in their late 20s to very early 40s. So young and young families. So convenience is now a term that is being used in every family. Mm -hmm. So different ways to look at it. Remember, we're looking at convenience. We're looking at healthy yeah. and we're looking at food. We know where it's coming from and um, easily accessible. So we started this journey at Java um, a couple of years ago where we started with our cookies. Um, and there's, there's a little cookie that, you, that, that comes with your coffee. Yes, yes, and yes. everybody kept Love talking it. about this cookie. Yeah. So we started, we, we just said, you know what? It's a winning formula. Let's box it and sell it, you know, if you will. And we, we, we started doing that and we started selling our cookies, not only at the stores, but also in retail. So currently we have three flavors of cookies currently um, in retail. And then recently we launched our granola which is another, again, an item that we use in um, our breakfast menu. And a lot of customers have said, you know, you know, where do you get this granola? 
Uh-huh. Um, when I talk about the food story, so just so you know, we we make from from Java, we make everything by hand. So we okay. we do have a central kitchen where we bake all our cakes, bake all our bread, make our granola, bake our cookies, and so we started selling granola in retail. And um, you know, thanks to the many customers out there, it's it's been quite the success. And so we started having that conversation of. These we are already well known. People trust us. They trust our brand. They trust our food safety. They trust our sourcing. You know, we need to bring this to the table. So we are working on a line of ready-to-eat meals. Same thing that you said. So, and you know, we're playing around with you know, should we have family portions? For young families where it's, you know, in an evening, mom and dad have come from work, they're both tired and they just throw something in the oven and it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Or for, um, again, that generation where it's a single portion. The young person, first, second job, works long hours, has some food in the freezer and comes home and throws it in. So that allows you to continue eating healthy. You know, you don't have to stop at fast food where you're not quite sure, you know, what the food is. It allows you to continue eating healthy. And then you, you can have a stash of food. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely something that we're looking at. You know, I've seen quite a bit on vending machines and, um, you know, where it's 24 hours. You can just go in. Mm-hmm. Could those work here? With vending machines, you'd have to get the technology right. Mm -hmm. Because remember, again, we're still pushing the health conscious preference from the customer. So in the West, vending machine food typically has a lot of additives because it it has to stay in the vending machine longer. Um, But yes, it can work. I think it can work in certain places. It can work at airports. It can work at hospitals. It can work in schools. It could possibly even work at um, the grocery store, at the supermarket. I mean, if you think about it, you leave work late. There's a supermarket that's that's open late. You want to pick milk and bread and you can just pick a frozen meal. So, I mean, I think it could. Look, the biggest advantage we have as Kenyans and as Africans, we are growing at the same rate as the West. Mm-hmm. So, years ago, it would we would be on the unhealthy kick because that's what the West was on 10 years ago. But the same, you know, chia seeds, green salads, veganism, um, vegetarian options, we are, we are right on par with them. So anything that is working at the West can certainly work here. I mean, barring obviously our own unique cultures and what our taste preferences were, yeah. are... So I think it can work. We just have to make sure that we understand what the what the Kenyan and the African consumer wants. It's good you brought that. I was just thinking, how does this translate to the Nyamachoma guy? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he can get his stuff on the vending machine. But I think it's also important for them to start thinking beyond, you know, right now we can't actually go and hang out at a Nyamachoma joint as we'd like to. But but they are still there needs to be this this thing going on. I think the conversation also needs to be able to trickle down to them in as far as how then they as part and parcel of the Horeca value chain can start thinking about how to do either get these services to people um or reskill themselves, I think. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, think about it this think about it this way, Martin. We actually can go to a Namachama joint. We just can't get a beer. <laughs> There's that. And the two go so, hand in hand. <laughs> and the two go hand in hand for our culture. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we're just listening to you and and you talked about the the, um, the farmer, which is um very uh obviously the farmer is 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 out as the input to your to your industry and covid has greatly impacted even that sector how yeah. is um is that affecting the i'm assuming it's also going to affect the prices of of uh, the commodities which uh, which you use and then eventually the price of whatever is on the table how are you seeing this uh, obviously people losing jobs um how are you seeing this affecting your business long term i mean prices are inevitably going to have to go up or is that not a reality well actually right now um we're seeing uh prices are 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 low mm-hmm. um i don't think it will last obviously because i think there was a bit of an influx in the market but i think we will see those prices we'll see a trajectory of those prices look for for me my my biggest discussion or you know area of discussion with farmers is we need to stop traditional farming and when i say traditional farming i don't mean that you know we need to go and lease large tracts of land but i i, I think global warming is real mm-hmm. the days of our parents relying on rain you know um for farming are long gone because i mean the rain patterns and so on and so forth are different so i'm not saying that you know you have to invest heavily in um irrigation and such but maybe water collection and then then so this is one industry that could actually take advantage of where we are today and the crisis to reinvent itself mm-hmm. because for me um the fluctuation in inputs is 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 a, is is really um a big headache for us yeah. so what we've done is we've actually approached farmers and we said okay fine let's let's see how do we work together with uh, together on something like this um and you know i think i mentioned potatoes earlier So now we have actual farm we, we will contract farmers to grow potatoes for us you know and so that way they have a ready market i don't have to start thinking about the fluctuation of input costs that obviously have a direct impact on my pnl mm-hmm. but also their story you know and and also don't be afraid to try something different just because your grandparents and your grandparents and the grandparents before that only farmed a certain type of product mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't um farm something different or get your soil tested understand what you really need um i i think that has to change so when we talk about repurposing an industry that industry needs to change and then come to talk to me as your customer because i will be able to tell you you know what actually that particular type of product let's say potato is not the right potato for what i use it for yeah so just because it's something that has been done over and over doesn't mean that it works now so again talk to your customer hear what your customer is saying and um i think that message resonates across all industries yeah yeah i mean that that sounds that sounds very practical so we've talked about some innovative things that people could do 
The question to you is, how can business owners leverage some of these innovations to get a better chance of recovery post-COVID? What, what, what are you thinking would create value as well for the employees? Because the goal is not just to grow as a business, but hopefully to retain some, a good chunk of your employees going forward. If you look at our industry and what's happening, I mean, like AI is really cool. Everybody is into AI. You know, we can we, we can know what you want before you even get to the store and and then and, and. it's like the hot thing. And um, we're all interested in it. Mm-hmm. But really, I don't think people will be obsolete. I think the skills that people have will be obsolete. Mm-hmm. So. You know, if you think of a typical restaurant um, employee, you know, we're very fortunate because we're able to do a lot of our training in-house. We have very, really very little turnover. And um, one of the challenges I have for a lot of um, people in our team is what did you, what would you, if you were looking 10 years from now in 2030, What will you be saying? I can't believe I did that in 2020. Mm. So is it because, is it, I can't believe I only wanted to do my CPAs. I can't believe I only wanted to be a barista. I can't believe I only wanted to be a wait star. So, you know, that question then makes you, because, you know, we ask that question of what will we not have in 2030? Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 sometimes it's an outrageous question because people will say, well, you know, we'll still have money. And I say, yeah, but maybe money will be different. Maybe we won't have coins. Yeah. You know, remember, we don't have the 50 cent coin that we used to have. We never, I don't know how old you guys are, but we used to have <laughs> a 10 cent coin. We don't yeah. have that anymore. Yeah. So who's to say that legal tender is going to look like what it does today? Mm-hmm. And so then that question then comes to my cashier and I say, 10 years from now, I won't need a cashier because every customer is going to finish their transaction on their phone. Mm -hmm. So what will your job be? So I don't think people will be obsolete. I I, I really don't. Again, I I, I like people. I'm in the people business. I just think that some skills will be obsolete and we just constantly have to question Mm -hmm. of what will that, what will the skill be needed? So what, you know, what is the skill? What do you think is the skill that will be needed in, in, say, the next three, four years that people can actually start focusing on? I don't think it's any, I don't think it's a single skill. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you will have somebody who is just a CPAK. Mm-hmm. I think you'll have somebody who's a CPAK, who's also an architect, who's also a chef something like that, if you will. Mm. I think um, your ability to look at a business in different facets is going to be the skill that is going to be most needed. I think what you go to school for does not necessarily mean that that is what you're going to be. Um, I think, you know, people say the restaurant industry is, has a lot of unskilled people. I disagree. I think your skill in, if you were a cook or if you were a chef, your skill in also being able to run a business outside of just cooking is going to be the skill that you need for the future. Um, so I don't, uh, for me, I think the skills of the future are not going to be specialized. Mm-hmm. 
I think the skills of the future will have many um, specializations, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think and also that ability to not be afraid to challenge and not to be not be afraid to think in the abstract, um, I think is going to be a skill that's going to be heavily needed uh, by many industries. But, you know, somebody said to me, do you think people should continue going to college? I, I'm a big fan of, of education. So I do think that people should continue going to college. Um, I think it adds yet another experience under your belt, but college isn't everything. Yeah. So just because you go to college doesn't mean that, you know, you, you've got all the skills you need. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, no, you but did. I, I, I just, did. I just think it's a, it's a larger, um, discussion there. No, just trying to picture the F and B space, um, this F and B space that we describe with innovation, with all these new business models. And we're trying to say, if you're a, if you're a child, a kid looking to study or to, 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 to jump into the F and B space, what should you be focusing on? And I think you're quite clear. I mean, you need to have multifaceted skills because, you'll just need to be able to be agile enough to to play in different spaces. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, agility, I think it's not even of the future. Agility is of now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I look at decisions that we were making on March 16th, you know, um, that was um, the Monday after COVID was announced. And... It was about being agile and also not being afraid to make the decision. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, I mean, that was a time where people were still like, yeah, it's still a bit of a cold. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And there were all these conspiracy theories of, you know, why Africans won't get sick. But it's still, it's, it's, you have to be agile and you also have to build a business and build yourself not to be pigeonholed in one area. So you just have to be very agile and also free your mind to allow yourself to accept and to think in different ways and to also take in what's coming. So yeah, agility is a great way to describe it. This, this sums it up very well. Uh, a whole discussion of between March and now, pivoting has become a new buzzword. Everyone has to do it. Every industry has to, has to do it. And we're going to see um, restaurant owners uh, demanding more of their staff in as far as understanding the whole business model, understand why customer service is, is important and why we actually tell you to do what you do. And which means now we'll have to skill up from understanding that that the whole Horeca industry is not going to be uh, looking for unskilled labor for the, for the sake of it. Um, um, would, that, would, that, would that be accurate in that sense? Yeah, um, I think also the, the, the you said something about like we are telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, we're not going to be telling you what to do. You're going to be telling us yeah. what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think top down is not going to work. You know, I actually don't particularly think that it works very well. Mm-hmm. I apologize for other industries that it works <laughs> for, but ours it doesn't. <laughs> uh, I think 
also for leaders, yeah. you know, leaders have to listen. And I think that's a skill that is underused. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, some leaders don't have it, but it's a skill that has to be developed by leadership. So, you know, it's it's not going to be that we're telling you what to do. I think it's going to be your customer is king. Listen to your customer. Tell us as leadership or as management what needs to change. And as management and leadership, we must listen. We must listen. But, you know, above all, we're all in the service business. I mean, outstanding service is something that we continuously have to do. But also, you know, one of the things that we talk about in our business, don't be afraid of competition. Mm. You know, I think competition forces you to sharpen yourself. Mm. And and then don't rest. Don't rest on your laurels because either you're, you know, you're the top dog in the industry. Because, I mean, you know, you rest and somebody else younger and smarter and sharper is going to come in and, and you know, take your place in the market. And that's mm-hmm. also for individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, you were the A student and, you know, teacher's pet and all of that. Yeah. You can't rest on that. You have to continuously think about how you're going to innovate yourself as much as your business. But I, I, I mean, I think it's more, yeah, even if you are unskilled in, and I, I don't particularly like that because I think everybody comes with some set of skill. Yes. The question is, what will you do to sharpen yourself? Mm-hmm. I think exactly. the days of Naomba Serekali have, have gone. Long gone, yes. Long gone. It's yeah. about your own initiative and what are you going to do mm-hmm. to sharpen your own, whatever skills you have, what are you going to do to sharpen them? Yeah. Now that you mentioned yeah. um, competition, do you think there are opportunities for collaboration? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it just really depends on your ethos as competitors. Mm-hmm. I think the culture of the business, of the different businesses, I think that that depends on that. I yeah. think it also depends on, you know, what's the value in there for the business. But I mean, there are different ways for collaboration. I mean, I think if you look at, I think it was Burger King and Chick-fil-A in the, in, in the U.S., they run a campaign where, you know, it was my chicken sandwich is better than your chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. And that helped drive business to both the businesses mm-hmm. where, you know, people went to try these different chicken sandwiches. So, I mean, I think there are ways you collaborate that are not just the traditional collaboration. I mean, we, we for many years, talk to competition and, you know, we understand, you know, what are we doing better? What are they doing better? You know, without, you know, telling the secret sauce. Yes. You know, there are ways that I think you can, you know, you can really leverage um, each other's strengths. So, I, you know, I, I don't see competition as the enemy. Yeah. If anything, I see competition as forcing me to be better at what I do. I think the question is important because um, I think about some of the large franchises globally, the Marriott's, the, the Hilton's, all these big hotels that are all going through the same challenge. In my mind, one one player alone cannot resolve the problems that are emerging right now. But perhaps yeah. together, if you sit down and actually start mapping out a future hotel business, a future restaurant business, then you're probably likely to come up with solutions that might actually be um, sustained. So I think that perhaps is the other reason why I think some form of partnership would be important. 
Yes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's why I said without, you know, without um, giving your trade secrets, there's mm. a lot of ways that you can collaborate. I mean, you know, and there are also things that you can do together. So, for example, if you if it was a lobbying group mm. or, you know, if you came together and said, you know, you know, we both agree that we're only going to have eco-friendly packaging mm-hmm. and therefore what you, when you do something like that you actually force your supplier to do better mm-hmm. i think for me when you know i think chris you asked something about farming earlier mm-hmm. and um you will find that these are a lot imported in our industry mm, sadly you know and you talked about the large chains there there are large chains that will not buy certain local products because they don't fit they don't yeah, they don't meet the standard, and 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 for me and uh, you know my personal ethos, if 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 there's something that we import, I always tell the team look for a farmer or whoever it is a processor, and tell them this is a quality we need. I think we need to stop um, giving our suppliers a cop out mm. that this is all we can do. We have the resources, we have the technology. But the, but if you think about it from a supplier of farmer point of view, they're not going the extra mile because there isn't a market for it. Mm. But guess what? I will buy, go the extra mile, process, you know, this flour, you know, an extra, you know, an extra cycle or this sugar, whatever it is. But I think as consumer, as a private sector, we have a responsibility to push the producers to produce at international standards. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for a long time, we've just settled on, you know what, we'll just import it. We'll just import it. You know what, importing is not helping the larger good. So what's the problem there? Is that mm-hmm. your, your industry is not talking to each other? They're not coming together to, to, to challenge the producers? I'm, I'm keen to hear what's actually going on. Well, I mean, I think for a long time, we've just looked outward. Mm. Um, But I I will say that, you know, collectively, we are saying to producers and farmers, you know, this is a quality I want. Um, But we also need, even from the farming community, the manufacturing community, for, for them to say, you know, what this discerning consumer has said, not anymore. And, and, and you will see some great organizations that are doing a really good job. I mean, the other day I, I was at the grocery store and I saw um, coconut milk yogurt. Mm. Now, I, I grew up in Kenya. There's nothing like coconut milk yogurt in my childhood. I mean, like, I didn't even know you could make coconut milk yogurt. Um, so, Martin, is, Martin um, is already writing it down. <laughs> yeah it's it's i mean there's some there's some organizations that are really pushing um that boundary and i and i'm just very glad to see that yeah i guess my last question is are are, are restaurants are hotels talking to each other around this this discussion because it sounds so obvious to me <laughs> are you talking to anyone um we talk to some people i think more restaurants, you know, the restaurant community isn't very big, mm. uh, but more restaurants than hotels. Mm. But what we do, I mean, we definitely understand our place in the restaurant um, industry being the largest. So mm. we, we definitely use our voice 
you know, to, to, to really work collaboratively with manufacturers and farmers. Mm -hmm. So it is something that, you know, we, we talk to quite a bit. I mean, in the past, we've even uh, brought in different seeds and, and given to farmers and said, you know, can you try and farm this? Let's see what's going to come out. So we collaborate quite a bit um, with, with, with the farmers. That's good to hear. Excellent. Yeah. This has been a very enlightening conversation. It's been superb. I, I have learned a lot about how the industry works. So have I. Um, I don't know. Do you have a, a parting shot for your your fellow industry men and women in, in the food service industry, be it for <laughs> restaurant owners or people who work in there? What's your parting shot? It's really plan the future from the present. Mm -hmm. What will your job be 10 years from now? Will your job exist? Will your business exist? And, you know, there, there are many things that, you know, people talk about companies that no longer exist and, 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 and. Again, I've said that people will not be obsolete. I really don't think that people will be obsolete. I think certain skill sets will be obsolete. Mm -hmm. And certain industries have to continuously innovate to be the industries of the future. So like in the restaurant business, folks will still eat, will have to feed people. Question is, will they come sit down in your restaurant? Will they eat at home? Will they want to sit down for a long period of time? Will they want to grab and go? How will they pay? How will they be served? When you think of the future, no idea is crazy. Mm -hmm. As crazy and as outrageous as it seems, it probably is likely going to happen. I think that transcends for all industries, yeah. Um, but but ours as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Priscilla. It's truly been an honor. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. And um, telling this the Java story has been top of my agenda this year because I think you guys are doing an amazing job at Java. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to me. Go on and on. No, no, no. Such <laughs> profound stuff. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you for listening in. Go ahead now and subscribe to African Retooled on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast directory. We're excited to hear from you. Send your comments and questions to africanretooled at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter and Instagram on African Retooled. Until then, keep learning, keep growing. Keep retooling.